I'm Will Primos, and you're listening to the Fochi Creek Podcast. Hey, I'm Jimmy Primos, and this is my buddy Lake Pickle, and you're listening to the Fochi Creek Podcast. Yeah, they are. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Fochi Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close. <laughs> this is Ben Rising with Whitetail Edge, and you're listening to Fochi Creek Podcast with Shed and Joby. This is Austin Delano with Mossy Oak Biologic and Gamekeepers, and you're listening to Joe B. and Shed Whitaker on Forsy Creek Podcast. This is Josh Grossenbacher with Rolling Thunder Game Calls, and you're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast with Joe B. and Shed. Hey, everybody, this is James Harrison, Harrison Custom Calls. Hey, you're listening to Joe B. and Shed on the Foshi Creek Podcast. Have a good one. <laughs> You're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland. With me is Dustin Shed Whitaker. Today's episode, uh, we have three gentlemen, two with us right now, want to be joining us. They're known throughout the turkey hunting world, and Mr. Ernie Calandrelli, Josh Grossenbacher, and James Harrison. Ernie resides in Lewistown, New York. He's spent over 40 years in the hunting industry. Ernie's an outdoor legend, has been named to the New York State Outdoorsman Hall of Fame, as well as being selected as a New York Outdoor News Person of the Year. Josh, you probably didn't know that, did you? No, I know. I know everything <laughs> about Ernie. <laughs> you get around him, he'll, he'll tell himself. <laughs> Look, I didn't. I didn't catch all that. Just probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it was probably it was probably best. Josh was just saying a lot of good things about you. But uh, Ernie's oh, Ernie's oh, one or, Ernie's one or placed in hundreds of calling competitions over the years. He's retired from Quaker Boy Game Calls, but he still travels the country representing them and. Also a pro staff member of Mossy Oak, and for a guy that's retired, if you follow him at all on social, social media, he doesn't look like he's retired. He's tra- traveling over the country, but instead of hunting maybe 10 states, he's knocked it down to maybe nine and a half states, so he slowed down a, just a little bit. Uh, Josh is a native of Ohio, where he's a, been a state champion caller. He's also the 2015 world champion and 2017 grand national head-to-head champion. Josh works with the Rolling Thunder Game Calls. He's been synonymous with uh, Mossy Oak. He's also co-hosted uh, waterfowl and turkey hunting TV shows. James Harrison, who's not with us uh, yet, but will be joining us. James has his own company, Harrison Custom Calls. He's also affiliated with Phelps Game Calls, of the Meat Eater Company. James has also done work with Dr. Grant Woods of Growing Deer TV. James developed the Harrison Hootin' Stick, the Harrison Owl Screamer, the Harrison Crow Call, and the Messenger Grunt Call. James is a champion caller. He's a multiple-time Al Hooten World Champion, Turkey Calling World Champion, and the NWTF Locator Call Maker of the Year. He's got 15 World or Grand National Calling titles and eight National Custom Call Building Championships. So, got three guys with a lot of accolades. Hey, James, good to see you. Now we got we've got uh, got some turkey hunting legends and some guys that can get around outdoors and talking a little hunting before we started. Missouri starts Monday. Kentucky starts off Saturday, so turkey season's here, and these guys, yeah, they've won some competitions. They're they're known for that, but they're but they're turkey killers, and that's what all of us are wanting to get out in the woods and try to do here in the coming days. So, get some questions, some insight from these guys. And James Winter just introduced you, said a lot of great things about you. Josh uh, and Ernie both said a lot of it wasn't true, but I tried to stand behind you as best that best that I could. Did you try to stand up, stick up for you? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was tough. I lost the battle, but I did. I did try to stick up for you a little bit. But hey, good to have you. Well, appreciate appreciate you joining I, us. Hey, we've been out scouting birds already today. Kind of checking things out. Well, hey, let's let's start off with that. And you guys got busy schedules. I mean, Ernie's got a banquet to be at here shortly, and I know you guys. If you're not hunting, you're getting ready to be hunting. So we'll we'll jump right in and shed. Just tell me when to be quiet, and you jump in with whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. Which you're you're good at doing that. You don't need me to tell you that. So let's start off with how you roost a gobbler. Whoever wants to st- jump in, and I guess James, that's what you're doing a little bit scouting. How do you roost a gobbler? Or using locator yeah, calls, we, or what are you relying on to do that? You know, right now with the season getting ready to kick off in Kentucky, we're just uh, getting on some high points this evening, and we're going to be using binoculars, checking out open spots, and then as it gets darker, you know, and then birds are going to be up on roost. We're gonna get the owl hooters out and uh, hit some hit some owl hooters. Uh, might hit a you know once they get up on roost and it's good and dark and everything, might hit a coyote howler. 
But uh, we're just going to right early. We're going to take it easy. We're not going to really get in on them tight tonight. We're just going to kind of get from like uh, high points and just kind of cover as much ground and territory as we can because we haven't been down on this farm all year since last year. So we're just going to just tickle the edges a little bit, so to speak. We're not going to dive in. and we our, our main goal is not to spook anything, put it like that. Now, a, a guy like you who can speak better than an owl, uh, who teaches owls how to hoot, I'm sure you don't, but for the regular guy, can you mess up by calling too much, by trying to locate them? Should you should the normal guy wait and listen to see if they gobble at night, or if they can hear them fly up, or can you mess them up too much by trying to call if you're not as adept as you are? You know, owls, uh, as long as you keep it natural, you're not going to screw anything up. Owls shoot all day long, this and that. So, uh, you know, I don't constantly, I get up there and uh, I'll hit an owl hooter, you know, and, I, and I'll listen and uh, I'll give it another 10, 15 minutes and I'll do it again. And uh, I do more listening than I do calling, you know, listening for birds to fly up and stuff like that. Then as it starts getting a little closer to dark and I know the birds should be on the roost, then I'll pick it up a little bit. But uh, I don't, I don't get over, overly. I don't put a lot of stock in them. You know, I've, I've been out roosting every chance I get. And, you know, it's, it's a, uh, for me, it's like a 70-30. Sometimes they'll gobble, sometimes they don't. But uh, I try to listen for them to fly up more than anything. I just want to hear birds and actually where they're flying up to. Hit them with short stuff. You don't have to get real elaborate. You know, something like that. Ernie, Josh, how about uh, you guys? What's your strategy when you're roosting? Are you listening? Or are you doing some? Calling yeah. and what kind of call you use? Who's going, me or Josh? Go, go, go ahead, ahead, Ernie. Yeah, I you know I do pretty much the same thing, and you know the the let me say the to me the most productive way to do it is uh, is, is like James said, you, you get some binoculars. Uh, I'm old now, so I would much rather look at them through binoculars from the truck. <laughs> you know what I mean? But. Uh, if you can get one to gobble anymore, you know, you are doing something in the evening because they don't gobble in the evening like they used to, not when they're up on the roof. It happens, you know, uh, especially with, you know, with James as, as, as good as he hoots and, and what have you. Uh, like you say, Joby, it's more than, uh, I mean, he's the best owl I ever heard. <laughs> he and and it, if you can get him to gobble back here, of course, you know, that's most of your business. Knowing where that turkey is. Especially if you can see him where he's come out of that field and flown up into that roost. But, you know, roosted, you know, the old saying, roosted isn't roasted. But you know darn well you're going to be in the right area in the morning. And if I can see where he went up out of that field, you can bet I'm going to be pretty much sitting right there. On the eastern turkeys, I'm going to be sitting right there pretty close uh, to the area he flew up or walked into the woods from when it was time to fly up. You know, it's like anything else, too. The more preseason especially you know the the more active or, or goblin turkeys or gobblers that you can find or locate uh you know you're stacking the odds in your favor you know the first one or two or three doesn't work you can go to the fourth or fifth one so you know you stack the odds in your favor and now uh, you just keep working on them and hopefully eventually one's going to come into you josh how about you what anything different that you do than these two guys yeah um a lot of times i like to call at them like you know, throw like a fly-up cackle or some cutting of some aggressive stuff in the evening just to try to jerk a gobble out of them. Had a lot of success with that over the years. I know um, Mississippi and Alabama a few years ago, I mean, seemed to me like I was I was getting more gobbles in the evening doing that than they were gobbling on the limb in the morning. So that's a, a tactic that I like to use. Josh hey, Spider, you got to buy a lottery ticket if you want to get one to gobble down here in the evening. <laughs> Man, I, I'm telling you, had success. I'll try that. And, and why is that, Shed, do you think? I mean, or, and guys, why is that that evenings are a little harder for them gobbling? Any rhyme or reason? Different parts of the country, different terrains, predators? Or, I don't, I remember in New York, I mean, you know, back in the late 70s, you know, into maybe up even into the 90s, uh, I would hear more in the evening than I would in the morning. And, you know, and which was good because I had, you know, plenty of options. Uh, when daylight came in the morning, but just not anymore, especially, you know, like Shed, I hunted Mississippi two weeks ago. It isn't just Mississippi, it's, it's for me, every state I've been into in the last 10 or 15 years, they just, for me, they don't gobble like they used to in the evening. So I'm, I feel much more better and confident 
if I can visually get a visual on them. And, and if you're hunting states where there's a lot of woods, uh, you know, that's a lot harder to do uh, because, you know, you don't have fields of glass in a lot of cases. And, and woods or mountain turkeys are, they're it just, it's just like hunting a big woods deer. It's not as easy as the little woods. There's no doubt about that. Hey, Josh, tell us uh, what time you get to your setup in the morning. How early or how late you get out there? And is that, does, it, does it vary? Uh, depends on how things went the night before. I like to be there before they wake up, but sometimes it might show up a little late. No, I like to, I like to get there about a half hour before they're gobbling. Just kind of just get in there and kind of chill out if I, if I know where one's at or at least uh, be to where I want to listen from. Ernie, how about you? What time do you like to roll in there in the morning? Well, just for an example, tomorrow morning, I, I, I was lucky to, Chucky and I both tagged out pretty early in Georgia the other day. Uh, you know, we only hunted three days, so we were able to get here early, and I went to one of the normal spots where I take the kids on this hunt, and I mean, they were burning up in there, and like the most turkey goblin that I've heard in five years. I mean, a lot of them were jakes, but there was a lot of good adults in there, too. So this morning I went in, and I, I there, there's a roadway that I just listened from the truck Thursday morning, but this morning I actually walked down the roadway, and I got pretty tight to them just to try and feel, I, I, not to feel them up, but to, to check the direction they were going uh, so I could possibly get them cut off on Saturday morning. But, you know, it is an entourage. I'm going to have two kids. Uh, I don't know who I have yet. They may, they, they may not have killed anything in their life. You know, which puts another challenge on it. But also, Chucky's going with me. He's going to help me out, and uh, and actually, he's going to try and shoot some film of it. But we already uh, went in. We got things set up, and and hopefully, it's going to work out in the morning. But because we're going to be pretty, be close to them, I'm going to be there, like Jack said, at least a half hour before. It, now, they were gobbling at six ten this morning, so uh, I I would like to be in there and set up, ready to go with you know at five thirty or five forty. Now, James, I could see you being set up like two days before. Yeah. <laughs> 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 my, my normal wake up every morning is three thirty in the morning to go to work. So, uh, and we hunt the Ozarks down in, in southern Missouri, down there on all that public ground and stuff. So we may have to walk three or four miles on some of that stuff. I mean, literally to get in on some birds and really walk around. So, you know, if I've got a bird and I want to get him killed, I know I need to be there. I, Many mornings, I have left the truck at 4 o'clock or 3.30 in the morning, and I just stomped through there. I figured, I mean, the worst thing going to happen, you get ate by a bear, and that's a good death in Indian terms, so I don't mind it at all. I'm just going. So uh, if I get there early, I'm going to peel up against the tree, nap, and be ready. Uh, James, tell us, too, of course, walking. You mentioned that, of course, if you're on public, sometimes you, motorized is not even an option. But, you know, I know thoughts on that, and my thoughts kind of, you know, related to deer hunting, which turkey hunting what's the difference from motorized to walking are you worried about driving in there close whether it's with a vehicle or i mean obviously you're not going to go in there like you right to the tree but are you worried about them hearing the sound of a four-wheeler or a truck or do you try to hoof it all the way in and walk it you know you know that that depends on where you're hunting at if if, if i'm hunting timber country that never gets any you know motorized vehicle problems at all i i tend to i try to walk everywhere put it like that but if i'm on farm ground you know around the house that the farmers are in there all the time on their tractors and on their side-by-sides and everything else and i don't think that bothers them near as much because they're used to hearing it so if you're in a spot that's used to having that kind of traffic i don't think it's an issue but if you're hunting big woods and uh and stuff like that where you know you don't get no nothing like that then i try to walk in and you know as much as possible i try to walk all the time anyway just i you know i it's it's I like it. It's a, I know I ain't spooking nothing if I'm walking in, put it like that. The older I get, I, I start thinking up way worse than downhill. <laughs> Josh, how about you? <laughs> what What are your thoughts on the motorized versus walking? Well, a lot of the, a lot of the government national stuff, a lot of it's gated, and you know you don't have the option of. I, I'm with James on that. I like walking, and you know you can stay in that two track and be quiet and move around without making any noise and not spooking anything. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. Ernie? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it states, like James said, I mean, if the farmers are working and 
what have you, I, it really doesn't bother them. I mean, they're used to it. But when you get into areas where there isn't that equipment or motorized vehicles or what have you, absolutely, because that's a whole different new sound to them, and why take the chance? Ernie, uh, tell us how long, once daylight hits and you've been listening to them, you know they've flown down, how long will you sit in one spot after daylight before you make a move? And just tell us kind of how you do that. Well, I have beliefs uh, that if you don't kill them right off the roost, they shut down or what have you, they know where them calls came from a lot, a lot of times. And when I was younger, no, I run and gun. I mean, he didn't come right in. I was, you know, snot flying out of my nose, and I'm getting after him. <laughs> get around him, get a different position, set up on him. But I'm not, I'm old now. You know what I mean? I have patience. Uh, if I never kill another turkey the rest of my life, they owe me nothing. I owe them many things. So I have patience now. And just like tomorrow morning, you know, I'm in a great spot. There's plenty of gobblers in there. And there's all small woodlots where we're at. And it's just like Texas. When you hunt Texas, you're going to run and gun. Yeah, you're going to kill. But you're going to spook a hell of a lot more turkeys than you're going to kill. I, I have a lot of patience nowadays, and I like to sit to be surprised when that turkey gobbles right on top of you. You know, maybe you heard one at three or four or five hundred yards away, then all of a sudden you haven't heard anything in a while, and bang, he's right on top of you, gobble. I might have lost you guys. No, we we got we got Brandy. the majority of you. <laughs> what, do you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we got, oh, we really? got you. <laughs> Oh. I just can't wait for the um, I'm, on, I'm on Brandy's laptop. I, I don't know the I don't see anything. I don't know. I, where are you guys? Uh, Josh, Josh, how about you? Uh, how long do you sit in the morning? Do you get up and go, or do you, have, do you kind of be patient with it? It's kind of kind of situational. I like I like to run around, run and gun, and, and move on them and stuff, but uh, ride it out for a while because a lot of times when those turkeys fly down. You know they're they're either going to go get something to eat or a drink, and uh, you know might it might take them eight o'clock to get where they want to be. And instead of you know messing up their program, just waiting it out. It's, it it kind of it depends on the situation. But if I can if I hear him you know hit the ground and he's going the other way, you know I'm going to definitely make a move as as soon as possible. James, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to agree with both those. Uh, uh, I I'm I'm in the older category now. So patience is definitely working in my favor for sure. Uh, I'm 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 catching a lot more birds than I used to catch because I used to run a gun. I was the same way, Ernie. If that bird gobbled and he hit the ground and went another direction, I was up his tailpipe as fast as I could because I wanted to get on top of him and get him killed. And uh, now I'm kind of laying back a little bit and letting them do their thing. You know the the biggest the biggest piece of advice I can give to anybody at this stage of the game as far as like. Like how long you sit and how long you stay is the more scouting you do and the more you know your birds and what they're going to do before season ever gets there, That that's really going to dictate what you can do and what you don't want to do on your birds. So, I mean, if you're hunting new ground and you want to just cover ground, you know, the running gun is still a, still a great option. But if you're hunting birds and you only have certain spots you can hunt, the more scouting and more preseason in you can get in there just listening to those birds and watching them and seeing what they're doing, then you can have the best chance of getting getting them killed during season. So if you know they keep hitting an open field at 8, 9 in the morning every morning, you know, I want to kill him right off the roost as bad as the next guy, but if I know he's going to be in a spot 8 or 9 o'clock every morning, I, I don't mind easing over there and setting up that field and getting ready for him. Because, A, I'm not going to spook him that way for sure, and when he comes in – He's, you know, it'll it'll be checkmate. He'll be open. So, situational for sure. But uh, I've definitely gotten on the patient side a lot more than I have been before. Question I had for you later on down the line was to talk about, you know, your your scouting and what you do. And can you tell us, James, a little bit about uh, your preseason scouting, or do you scout some also during the season? And uh, just tell us a little bit of what scouting means to you and what kind of time you put in doing that, and what are you looking for. Oh, you know, scouting is the key to it because as the season goes along, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, and you know, as the season goes along, those turkeys change. The mating season is progressing. The, uh, you know, your hay fields or the grass is getting taller. So in the mornings, they're staying out and they're staying in the timber more. Uh, so I'm out there, you know, preseason. I'm listening to birds. I'm marking them on my Onyx. I'm watching which way they fly down, and I'm, I'm paying attention to where they're at. 
and I go from there. And then as the season goes, you keep on scouting all the way through season because in the agriculture areas, you got farmers that are in there spraying fields or planting fields and moving around and, and bumping birds and stuff like that. And then in the big timber areas, you got foliage, you know, greening up. And a lot of the spots that birds were in early season, they've already left and went into different spots, you know, whether it be food-wise or, you know, guys that bumped them and pressured them and stuff like that. So it's scouting never stops in my world. You just keep on scouting. And uh, you have to be able to adapt and change with the season because just like deer hunting, you got, you know, your early feed patterns, you got pre-rut, you got rut, post-rut, you know. Turkeys are the same way. You know, they got free rut, they got rut, they got post rut, the same thing, just like a deer. So you have to be flexible and uh, constantly willing to adapt and change on every situation. And scout, scout, scout. That's the key. That's the key to it right there. Josh, I'll ask you the same on scouting. What kind of, what time you put in? What are you looking for? And, and let me add this to it, Josh. You know, like if you, if you see a bunch of turkey tracks in a spot, you know, crossing a, Cross the dry creek bed or, or wherever it may be. Is that something that you just, well, the turkey just wandered through here? You know, deer, you see that, you know, they're probably coming through there at least on some type of regular basis. The turkeys do the same thing or are they more, can you can you count on that as sign, I guess, is kind of what I'm asking. It. Oh, absolutely, that sign. I mean, yeah, I look, I look for tracks and mud holes and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, when you find in fresh tracks, you know that he's going to be in the area. Right now, I've been driving around in the mornings and listening at a few places and putting eyes on some turkeys in some spots. I've walked some new properties I just got permission on, just looking at just anything right now on them. And I spend a, just spend a lot of time in the car, in the, or my truck in the morning, glassing fields, places I usually see them, and, and, and some new spots that I'm uh, checking out and getting familiar with, just, just glassing. Where's these new spots at? They're around the house here. <laughs> now, Ernie, with yeah. you hunting eight or ten states a year, scouting is probably a little bit more difficult for you, and in, in in some places anyway, because you're not there all the time. But what what scouting look like for you, Ernie? What type of things are you looking for, and when? How you do it? Preseason scouting for me is pretty much non-existent. I mean, and it has been pushing forty years. I mean, since I got into the business. And uh, because I just don't, I get there and I'm there to hunt. But, and I'm sure these guys will agree with me, if you're driving down a road in July or August and see a flock of turkeys in the field, you're not going to forget where you saw them. You know what I'm saying? So you scout, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you scout. I mean, you constantly scout. You don't yeah. just scout when you're hunting or preseason. You see turkeys in the field, every time you drive by that field, I guarantee you, you're going to be looking at it. To see if they're back out there again, whether it's May or March or September or whatever. You're always scouting. Always, always, always. You're looking for tracks. Uh, you're walking through a woods, even deer hunting, and you, you see it all ripped up, uh, uh, you know, where, where, where the turkey scratching. You know, you're, you're marking that stuff down in your brain constantly. Tracks, droppings, what have you. When you see it, you know that the, that the area holds turkeys. And you'll never, ever in your life forget that spot. Ernie, let's let's keep it with you. And do you hunt out of a blind, or do you hunt mainly uh, like sent to base for training? I I don't I don't prefer to hunt out of a blind, but in a lot of situations that I'm in with people, I have to hunt out of a blind. It's easier on me. It's easier on them. Uh, it's just an easier way to do it. Now, what I do I prefer that Josh and I hunted together and. Texas last week actually and and you know, we I like building a little if it's a place where I'm planted out staying for a little while I like little brush blinds you know like we'd cut a bunch of cedars whatever and stick it around you and, and stuff like that now the commercial uh, uh, hub blinds are I mean they're it's an incredible tool um, and I've said it on other podcasts where I feel it's actually cheating a little bit I mean, compared to where I'm sure where we all did it when we were at, you know, you run and gun. But I mean, but I also carry a full out turkey seat because I'm not sitting on the ground anymore. I'm not having to stick in the butt anymore. I've said that them turkey seats, I can sit in that turkey seat for daylight till dark. I can take naps. I can what have you in it. I'm comfortable. Then when anybody hunts with me, I explain to them right from the get go. When you hunt with me, you're hunting in a comfort zone. 
I'm not anymore, you know, before, no, I would kneel on rocks, I would belly crawl uh, with, with rattlesnakes and, and everything else. I just don't do that anymore. I want to be comfortable because the more comfortable you are, the less you're going to move. And blinds are comfortable. And I use, you know what I use a lot? I use a little Alps mate. It's a little one-man blind. The turkey chair fits right in it perfect. It's only about three feet high. You fit in there perfect. They're not going to see it. You can get away with murdering them things. And you do. <laughs> now, if you're, if, Ernie, if, you, if you're hunting on the ground and all three of you guys, do you see people making mistakes? How do you try to set up at the base of your tree? I think, you know, most people probably try to get face on no, where they think it's hidden from. That's absolutely wrong. That's absolutely wrong. You should never, where that turkey's gobbling, you should never face the turkey, in my opinion. You know, I'm left-handed, so I sit on the left side of the tree. I got a 180-degree swing then. If you're right-handed, you sit on the right side of the tree because you got a hundred, at least 180 degrees you can swing. And most people make the mistake by setting up dead at where that goblin's coming from, then all if they're left-handed, they come on the left side, you're going to have a little bit of problems swinging over on them. Yeah. I had a guy, a buddy of mine in Mississippi, he moved his gun six inches because it came to the left side of him, and that turkey was gone down there. And, uh, I mean, that's if it would have been right, well, the turkey moved to the right. If it would have been moving to the left because he was right-handed, it would have been a lot easier for him to ease that gun over on him. But, uh, yeah, I, that's how I, I don't sit facing the turkey. Even in a blind, I turned the chair in a blind. So Was that Shed Whitaker that uh, had to move his gun six inches and blew the turkey? The no, it wasn't. It wasn't, <laughs> but, it was, but, but it was another buddy of ours. <laughs> uh, Josh, anything <laughs> you, can you can add to that as far as how you set up? Uh, bro, when you no, hear I'm 100% with Ernie on that one. As far as setup, though, like like Ernie said earlier, you know, like cutting branches and stuff, especially like early season, a lot of places the foliage isn't in yet. Nice to grab some cedar limbs, make your make your moving a little bit easier. But yeah, as far as setting up, pointing straight at them, what Ernie said, I agree with hundred percent. That's probably caused many. I mean, it's a natural kind of thing to do. You hear the turkey kind of square up with it, and that's probably caused many many people, like Ernie mentioned there, to do everything right except that and they have all that movement at the end and blow the shot. James, anything you can add uh, to how you set up? I, I'm pretty much with him on that. I always set it up on the right-hand side. You know, I'm right-handed. I can swing around and uh, I just make sure you got stuff in front of you as far as like clear. So if you do have to swing your gun or stuff, you ain't running into, I don't know how many times I've been with guys and they'll set up and they got saplings right in front of them and then they, they just hand, they handcuff themselves so they can't, a bird does come in on them. I've even to the point, you know, as I've gotten older and my back's been messed up and stuff like, last year I shot several turkeys standing up against the trees. I never sat down. And, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of old timers. They said, heck, we never sat down up against the tree. We always stood up. So, uh, actually, I did it last year out of necessity. And, uh, it, you know what, it worked great. I stood up. I was real still. When the birds got in range, it went behind a tree. I raised up and shot them. So, I mean, you know, I think the biggest the biggest take from all that is just sit still. That's the key. That's the, I mean, that's the holy grail right there. Still move with your eyes, not your head. If you're going to sit by a tree, become the tree. Just don't move. Can I add something to that? Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and 100%, James. I mean, 100%. Because I've been screwed. By sitting too close to saplings, turkey come up on the wrong side. I can't swing. A couple of times you learn, but the other thing I do is get my gunner slinged. As soon as I sit down, I take the sling off. Because I've also got screwed twice by roots, where I'm trying to get my gun yeah. up, it ain't coming. The sling's hung <laughs> up on a root. And you talk about mad, that'll make you mad. So that sling, I, I don't care. Well, and it I never happened to me. It happened got a sling on mine stretch it out it tightens up on you it's like a speed sling that way as soon as i sit against the tree it's strapped up tight right up against the gun that way i don't have that exact same thing happen because i've had that happen to me before you know guys i don't know if there's if there's a clear answer to this one but maybe i hope there's some rules of thumb that maybe you guys use as far as you know getting into one roost and not getting in too close or you know where you're spooking them is there anything you do, and I know terrain plays a big part of that, the wind can, but on how you judge how far that sucker is. You know, because sometimes 
you can think, ah, he's a quarter mile away and, you know, he's 100, 100 yards or less, you know, or you think he's a lot closer than he is. Is there any way that or things that you guys do to kind of judge that or is that just experience? I, anymore, my problem is I can't hear. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hear like I used to. We were it kind of solves that problem. What you don't know won't hurt you. The, the first morning, in, in, it's called, I, I call it Calendrelli year because all the old Calendrellis ended up like that. But I've lasted the longest. I've had good, great hearing for 69 years. I'm going to be 70 next week. I had a guy said, yeah, turkey just gobbled right at you. I said, what? I thought he was. Are you kidding me? He said, no, no, he just gobbled right at you. I call again. He said he gobbled again. I ain't heard this turkey. He, he had, like, one of the worst gobbles I ever heard. Next thing I know, there he is, full fan, full strut. He's coming. Well, we've lost you a bit there, Ernie. Man down. Yeah. We've lost you, Ernie. I can finish Ernie's story for him if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, I heard Josh. About 15 times last week. So, <laughs> yeah, he didn't hear the turkey <laughs> both times. And then he looked up, and there he is. And he walked up, and Ernie's shot him. <laughs> <laughs> James, can you can you anything to that? As far as judging them, uh, you know the old adage is if you if if I start off a long ways off and work my way in, I never spook them. So you know I try to you know it's all situational. I would love to be within a hundred yards of them all the time, but a lot of times you just can't get on them. You know, especially like public ground where you're hunting big timber. If you're a 200 pound guy walking through nothing but oak leaves in the morning before daylight that and you're getting within 100 yards of a turkey goblin he's got a pretty good idea that you're not normal you're, you're not supposed to be there so a lot of times we hang back until them birds fly down and then find out the direction they're going in and then we'll get around them and set up on them when the birds are already on the ground then we sound a little more natural on the ground but uh, you know I, I tend to lay back a little bit and let them do their things because you can always circle them and get set back up on them if you're too far out. But if you get on them too close and you bump them, the game's over for the morning. Josh, was there anything uh, that you do as far as, you know, what we're talking about there, as far as knowing that distance? Do you just or do you try to be as cautious as possible? or? Yeah, I'm, I'm with James on that. I, I do try to be really cautious. But if it's, you know, a little bit further out of the season and, things are thickening up and, and I know where if I if I've got them roosted and I know I can get in, in there in the dark and get set up on them I'll, I'll I'd like to be yeah well within a hundred yards if possible but well, yeah being cautious is uh pretty important especially in places if, if you've only got one goblin turkey in there and you you bump them you're done now what do you do Josh if, when you bump one what's what's your next move after that get yeah, the truck a... and go try to find <laughs> one somewhere else <laughs> James, how about you? That's what, exactly it. If you bump one, what's what's your move, James? Just relocate and try again. You know, if it depends, if you only got one spot to hunt or something like that, and you bump a bird and you didn't really shoot at him or spook him bad, a lot of times that bird after an hour will settle back down and go go into gobbling or start working again. So uh, that's where the patience comes in. But I mean, I'm the same way. If if I've got other birds to work or another farm to go to. Uh, and I spook one, I'll just leave him, you know, and, and I won't, you know, if I think I'm putting a lot of pressure on one, I'll back off and try to go find another bird, you know, somewhere else to hunt if I can, just because I, you know, they're just like a deer. You can, you can pressure them and, you know, go hunt public ground for a while in Southern Missouri. You'll see what pressure is. I'm sure it's the same way everywhere on public ground, but, uh, it, you know, after the first weekend or so, you'll, them birds get wised up quick. James, in the morning, you hear several of them gobbling on the roost. Which one do you go after? Just the one that works the best or the one that responds? Or are you just talking to all of them and see which one answers you? You know, a lot of times it'll depend on the situation of where you can get a good setup on a bird at. And you, you'll you get some of them birds that'll gobble at everything they hear, but they won't commit and come in. And then you'll get a bird that's gobbling sparingly, but he'll be the one that actually works and comes in on you. So I always try to get in positions, and this, this is getting really situational but i always try to get in a position that i can get out of so if i get on a bird and i'm working him and i have to slip out or something's not working right i can slide out of there without getting spooked or you know without spooking that bird or him spotting me you know i try to set up in areas that if that bird doesn't work and i hear another one gobbling 
I can slip out of there without spooking him and uh, get on that other bird. So it's it's that's really situational. I, you know, a lot of guys are like, well, I take their temperature and see how they're gobbling. And, you know, I've, I've got two-year-olds that gobble their brains out, and then I'll have a three-year-old. He may only gobble once or twice, but he's the one that's going to come in and, you know, look for the hen where the other two-year-olds are just going to sit down there and gobble at each other just to hear themselves gobble. So it's, it's situational. I just – I try to set up in the best setup possible. I guess that would be the easiest thing to say. Where I think I'm going to have success at, and I know I can get in and out of. How about you, Josh? you got several. Of course, that's a great situation to be in. you got several of them gobbling their own roost by you. But which, how do you choose or know which one to go after or kind of what to do there? Well, probably in a situation like that, start with the closest one that I could get to, um, as far, depending on the terrain. But I would also probably uh, – drop pins on some of those other ones because you know once they hit the ground if they're out of earshot from wherever the one is i'm going after you know i can if it doesn't work out with that one i can ease in on those other ones later in the morning so yeah like james said it's it's very situational there's a lot of factors that could change your decisions in that though how far during the day in in these areas you think these birds are moving around say southeast kind of midwest like ohio or you know Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi. How far do you think these birds move after they hit the ground? Are they they staying pretty close to where they're roosting? You think they're going a mile or two? I, I don't think they go real far. What you got, James? Oh no, the ones around the house on the agriculture by the house. I've got I've got some cell cameras out there by the house just for deer season. That I leave out year round for my deer, and uh, I've got three gobblers in there now that uh, I sent joby the videos of that those birds are staying in a hundred hundred acre farm and they're there all day long they never leave so they're staying tight now you get in the ozarks them birds will jump ridges but they're not going far you get down you know they're they're not going super far like out west you get on the rios hell they're they're tracking miles around the house i don't think i i think people go past them and don't give them enough time and uh they blow through them birds but i don't think they go that far I think from what I see around there, them birds will stay within a, I, I'll just estimate and say, you know, a hundred acre spot. They'll stay in there easy. As long as nothing bumps them out, they're going to stay. They have no reason to go. Calling wise, how often are you calling? The old, can you call too much? Can you call too loud? Do you try to call soft? Calling wise, how much, how much are you doing in, in a morning's time? I, yeah, I've never called one up. I've hooted them up before, but I've never called one up. You, you mean with a turkey call? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my rule of thumb is simple. I start soft and uh, and keep it simple. If the less calling I can do and I can get that bird to answer me and cut me off, I'm going to just be quiet and let him come in. I've had situations where I've really had to pour it on them to get them to change their mind and do something they didn't want to do. And I'm sure Josh has the same thing. But, uh, you know, I, I try to read the bird. If I'm hitting him with some tree elves and he gobbles and cuts me off, I'm going to be quiet and let him do his thing because he knows I'm right there. I might hit him with a couple clucks, this and that. I, I try not to get, you know, I try to keep it soft and work them in that way. And then if they don't want to play or some hens come in and the hens start getting aggressive, then I'll start getting on top of those hens and, and, and getting with the hens. I try to keep it basic and simple, man, old-timer old style, you know, Keep it soft and sweet and uh, work them in that way if you can. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I like, I like what he just said, but um, <clears throat> like running and gunning, covering the ground, like if it's in like flat terrain, like up here in Northeast Ohio, you know, maybe every 80 to 100 yards I'll stop and call when I'm trying to <clears throat> trying to strike one. And uh, if I've got one that I'm working, it's kind of going to depend on his mood. If he's gobbling hard and it seems to me like he's covering ground, like, I like to call, and I like to know where he's at, and I like to hear him gobble. It's really hard for me to not call, but, like, given a couple minutes in between, you know, a series of yelps and a few clucks here and there, that's the way I would approach it. And you guys probably, too, have a feel or an instinct that, that possibly the, the novice person wouldn't have as far as when to call. Do you kind of use your gut as far as knowing when to call and just kind of feeling the different turkey out or the hens out or the gobble? whoever you're calling to is that is that something you get with experience and time having a feel for it oh 100 i mean you can't you can't beat experience but man they're all different you know shed did you have a question I, from ernie for josh he wanted to know 
He had some expertise on how to call in a jackass. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. If you called one in in Texas or what happened. Okay, yeah. By calling in a jackass. So we're sitting in makeshift line to Texas, and it's, it's just cracking daylight, and a couple turkeys had gobbled, and then all of a sudden this this jackass, you know, lets out one of those whatever you call that noise, and it was loud, and I was like, oh, my God, the turkey gobbled at it, and he's like, oh, it's that jackass. He's back here again this year. He's right up into our makeshift line, like walking all around us. Um, we had a boy there filming with us, and that one literally walked straight up to the lens of the camera. Well, we had a big time. <laughs> I do have a story for you from out there, Shed. Me and, uh, me and the boy that went... Film with me. We ended up packing our luggage full of sheds. I, we ended up bringing home forty nine. Four nice. I uh, I saw the picture you posted with them all on it on the internet. I used to find. Oh yeah. One of the best things about going out there was finding all of them. I know it was bad as a drought. What they probably did you find any great big ones or were they just kind of average? They were all pretty average. I mean, the the best ones were probably maybe close to one thirty, but. I found almost 80 out there one year. Oh, wow. But I was out there. At that time, we were going out there for a month, killing 120 birds and yeah, all that time. And I was, middle of the day, I was all over the place finding Yeah, that's what, that's what I was doing. It got up into the 90s, and I got back, and, you know, everybody's kind of chilling at the lodge. And we went walking, got sunburnt. It's fun out there. Oh, yeah. Guys, Kentucky starting tomorrow, Missouri. Yeah, tomorrow Saturday. Kentucky tomorrow and Missouri Monday. What are the turkeys doing right now? I heard, I think it was Harold Knight say there's five phases of the turkey seasons. I guess I don't, I don't know if you've heard him, heard him say that or how many phases there are. You know, like with the deer season. What what phase are we in right now? And what what can a person expect as far as what the turkeys are doing? Is this peak breeding time? Well, and I can't tell you in Kentucky exactly. I've been watching, but around the house. Uh, they've been breeding for a while, but they're really, you know, the hens in the Ozarks right now, it's killing time. Them birds, them gobblers are coming in. So I say we're just a little bit ahead of peak, but uh, the birds are responsive and they're working phenomenal right now. Monday, we got beautiful weather on Monday. It ought to, I mean, it ought to be a bloodbath out there. They ought to kill a pile of turkeys. There ought to be a bunch of them whacked out there Monday for sure. Is that, is that what you're seeing and thinking, Josh? Yeah, that's the report, Missouri. Um, around here at the house, I've been watching one pretty good-sized flock, of, a big mixed flock of uh, longbeards, jakes, and hens. Well, I had one strutting by himself, and then there were two with just a handful of hens, so they're starting to break up here and getting in the groove really good. Now, with with the breeding phase going on right now, what do you worry about decoys at all? Is, is, it, is it Or is it a good time for decoys? Monday morning or... Will you guys have, uh, or Saturday for you, James, will you all have decoys as a part of your hunting strategies or no? You know what? Uh, around the house, I've got some gobblers that I've been really watching a bunch, and they're 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 aggressive. They're a bunch of two-year-olds, so when I get on those, I'll take, I'll take a decoy out there. I'll run a half-strut decoy with a breeder hen. Here in Kentucky right now where I'm going, I will probably leave the decoys – at home until I can figure out what they're doing. I, I hunt so much. Anytime I'm hunting timber birds, I hardly ever take a decoy. I don't count on them. If I got them, great. I don't purposely think I need to take them out to get a bird killed. So I just uh, leave them at home in the morning and uh, just go hunting and see how the birds are acting around here. Now, once I get to Missouri, if I get on those three birds, I'm definitely setting decoys out on them because they're going to they're gonna break and come into a set of decoys. They're, they're wanting to fight. Those those two-year-olds, are they're fired up and ready to, they're ready to go. How about you, Josh? Yeah, the same. You know, when I get out there hunting in the Ozarks, we're going to be, I, I love hunting in the timber and, and hunting without a decoy. I feel like it's not quite as, uh, they're, they're still effective, but not as necessary. you got a lot of places where you can hide and, and a lot of terrain you can use to your advantage to where, you know, you don't need to get them right into a decoy. And I will pack mine with me out there, but the only time we'll use them is if we've got a situation where we're going to be hunting a field and and down in that part of the country i mean they're really i really enjoy hunting the big woods without them you know we talked about scouting earlier and talking about big woods uh, josh is there are there any land features 
that that you that a person could, would look for that you believe like a gobbler would travel or turkeys travel naturally i mean like a, i guess a logging road would be one that they 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 do seem to like that but are there other land features that a person can, can key on or is that not really the case with the turkey um man i think you know looking at looking at topo maps and stuff and finding you know those big main ridges with the little finger ridges that break off to the sides i mean those are usually good places to find them but yeah i mean that would be like the, one of the main things i'd be looking for on a map as far as and as far as traveling i mean man benches seem to be good places that they like to to cruise and uh and if i've got a chance to run some old log roads and stuff and just check for sign on those you know stuff like that james how about you what do you see in in the woods there is there any any features that turkeys tend to kind of migrate to uh you know what i'm i'm the same way i'm i'm looking for the shelves and the benches in the big woods i'm looking for the uh open spots i know them gobblers like to get out there and strut on their strut zone so i look for the knobs and stuff like that you know if you're hunting public ground a lot of those places get burnt you know early season you know in the winter time or early january february so look for them burn spots uh turkeys love burn spots so if you can get on those spots like that definitely check them out don't overlook them and then uh yeah as far as as far as big woods i just check for shelves i look for knobs and birds like to get out on and and gobble and strut on, you know, do their strut zones and stuff like that. As far as, as, far as field-wise, I look for the cow fields, you know, the hay fields that are low early season, you know, the shorter, shorter the grass are in it more. Once that grass starts getting taller, they won't get in it until it dries out in the morning. So I look for that short grass, you know, where the cows are at, stuff like that. So just, uh, just as the season goes along and progresses, just uh, progress with it. And James, you mentioned a strut zone. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and also – is that something a person can can locate or find and if so what what are you looking for uh you know a lot of times it's the, it's the turkey makes up his own strut zone as far as that i had one uh last year that was on a he is he is on a big old bald knob on an oak ridge and uh he just strutted around that thing in a circle and it was so open no matter where you got to you couldn't get you know you never could get to him until he got on the back side of it and once we figured it out, we just finally slid up, and every time he'd come in and start coming around, we'd stop and wait. And then once he got on the backside, we'd ease a little bit closer. And uh, so a turkey will make a strut zone. It's just an open area a lot of times where they can see good, and uh, you know the sun's on them and stuff like that, where they where they got a good advantage point. And uh, it may be on a shelf on the side of a side of a steep ridge or a side of a ridge, or it could be like a knob or anything like that. I mean, I think the turkeys kind of dictate where they want to strut at more than we can it ain't like we can look for a saddle like for deer hunting or something like that i think it's more the turkey finds a spot and he likes it that's what he's going to use josh anything you can add add to that bob i'm with i'm with james 100 on that we had we had a turkey a few weeks ago in mississippi that we got morning and man he was cobbling hard around he was little little spine ridge out in front of us and he he got to that one spot and he just strutted back and forth for an hour i mean that's that's where he wanted to be and it wasn't for it was maybe like four there were four or five jakes come in and finally run him out of there or i think he might have stayed there all dang day now josh office is a, is a champion caller right? there, there's going to be a diaphragm call in your mouth come monday morning i would assume oh yeah what, what else do you use what other calls do you have with you do you have a little bit of everything Oh yeah, I, I carry a box call. I carry um, a slate and a glass call. I really like using a glass call a lot in the woods. I like the way they sound. I like the way the, the sound carries and that frequency. I, it just seems to be good for striking gobblers. Then on windy days, I like to use a box call just to crank crank on those and uh, get that loud loud sound out of those. Now, does goblin have much of a as far as calling if, to gobble? Do you all use that at all? Does it have a place in in the call? Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of those times when uh, I had a situation in Kansas a few years ago where I was working a gobbler out, and he was across the field, and he was gobbling good, and there was a turkey behind us, and he's gobbling, and he's coming to the field, and he pops out in the field, and he's going towards that other gobbler. And I was like, shoot, man, I ought to try gobbling at him. I started, and it's, it's a really pathetic gobble with a mouth call, but it was, it was super effective, especially in that situation. When I started gobbling, it changed his mind, and, and he rolled right up there, and we shot him. Yeah, sometimes like challenging them with, with a gobble or letting them know there's another gobbler over there can change their mind. James, how about you? What are you going to have, uh, you know, what turkey calls will you have with you? A variety of 
everything? Yeah, I carry quite a bit. I carry, uh, you know, I carry probably, I, I'll, I'll start with locator calls. I got an owl hooter. I got my owl screamer. I got my crow call. Then I got my diaphragm that I coyote howl on. So I got all those. And then uh, turkey calls, I'm running my mouth calls. And I run a, usually I run an aluminum or a slate call quite a bit. And I always carry a wing bone with me. And I, I find myself using my wing bone quite a bit too, as far as working on birds. As far as goblin, it's the same. I'm, I'm exactly with Josh. You get that right bird that wants to argue and fight with, or you get a bunch of two-year-olds in there that, you know, are, are dominant and they're wanting to, you know, prove they're the baddest ones on the block. You know, if you can get out there and jake gobble, because that's all I can do on a mouth call is jake gobble, because it sounds really bad. I'm, I'm right there in the league of, uh, that doesn't sound like a real turkey, but I tried anyway. And not like my kid that can gobble and sound like a 30-pound gobbler standing there, but, uh, and, and the goblin works great. I mean, you get in a situation where a bird wants to stall out, and all of a sudden he starts firing off at another gobbler. I'll, I'll hit him with a gobble, and uh, I'll even spit and drum at him. You know, get him in there, and I'll just give him that little bit of sound where they're like, oh, there's another bird, and he's coming in on my hen decoy or my hen or whatever, and uh, a lot of times that'll be enough just to break, and they'll come on in on you. Now, do you, Josh and James, to both you guys, do you, you spit and drum? You just use your natural voice for that? yeah it's all just kind of yeah yeah I do. you know that's that is tough to hear in the wild and i've, I've and i guess maybe i'm at the age or i've lost it and i somebody i guess it was steve stoltz telling shed and i that that i, I don't want the decibels of that but i even got video on i was listening to youtube and i thought when's the guy gonna or when's the turkey gonna do it or when's the guy gonna do it and i went through the whole video i thought hey, they didn't make a sound and i thought if something was wrong it was me i couldn't i could not hear that I guess you either got the gift of hearing to hear it or you you don't. I, certain decibels, I guess it's at that people a lot of people can't pick up, and I'm one of them, I guess. Uh, but y'all just make yeah. that with your with your voice, right? Well, yeah. I sent you that I video did. the other day of that gobbler running through the field, breaking the strut. Did, could you hear him drumming on that video? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, he was drum, drumming on it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he was drumming. Yeah, if you're deaf, dude, it's, it's over. It's done. Yeah, no, I, I can't hear it either, so don't feel bad. Well, uh, James, you mentioned a you, you got a you got a coyote diaphragm that you use for a locator call. What what yeah. is that one you've made, or is that one you yep. you bought? Uh, you know what? We used to make them. It's just the one I would runs just like an uncut double reed. I run a little bit thicker latex. The company I work for now, Phelps Game Calls. They have they have uh, diaphragm calls out for howling and stuff like that, and uh. It's just so much more realistic than a than a coyote howler. You can just hit it, and and the good thing I like about it is if you don't want to be super loud on it, you can hit it, and it'll be you don't have to get super loud. You can keep it softer. So if you think there's birds in a woodlot and you just don't want to blow them out, you just hit them with a you know with that diaphragm, and you don't have to get as loud on them. And I think as far as realism, I mean they're they're real. They sound great. Now when you get down to it, and of course you know. 20, 30, 40 yard shot, everybody thinks well, that ought to be automatic, but there are a lot of turkeys missed. What do you do to make sure that you execute the shot? Is there is there anything in particular that goes through your mind or that you replay or say to yourself or picking a spot? Is there like you do with a bow? Is there anything you do to make sure? Or is it, of course, with those tungsten shells, you can't practice, Man, you can't shoot too much at the cost of those. Yeah, you know what? The, the big thing is, and I see a lot of guys doing it, man. They're shooting them birds and strut and everything else. I just wait till I get a good – that bird stretches his neck up, and I got a good clean shot on him, and I just take my time. I shoot a red dot on my on my gun, and uh, I've shot a red dot for years, and I, I just – I you know what? Just make a good clean shot on them, get them in, and get them in range. You know, 30 yards is where – I like to have them 25, 30 yards. Obviously, I'll shoot them closer or far, farther. You know, I'm, I'm not biased. I'll, I'll kill them anywhere. Just good open open area, you know, try to get him to stop and get him to stretch his head up and uh, shoot him. Now, do you put your red dot at the base of his base of his head, or do you put it right on the head? I put it right in the middle of his neck. So I'm, I'm just between his waddles and his and his skull. Now, do you shoot the tungsten, the TSS? Do you shoot shoot those? Uh, you know what? I got some, and I do shoot them. I shoot, I shoot Foxtrot uh, TSS. But like my wife's going out this year for the first time, and I'm and she's shooting a two and three quarter inch uh, squirrel load number six because I it, I don't want it you know it's going to kick her, and she's shooting it really good, and you know I'm going to have them birds in 20, 25 yards, thirty yards, and uh, dude, how many how many turkeys did we ever kill with lo squirrel loads when we were growing up? You know, before <laughs> yeah. all that 
stuff came out, copper plated, mm-hmm. everything else. We shot two and three quarters, loads of number fours and sixes forever and killed killed tons of turkeys. I mean, the TSS is definitely bad to the bone. I mean, it kills them dead for sure. And uh, you definitely gain some range out of it, some penetration. You know, if your setup's good and the birds come in like they should, you know, heck, you can shoot them all day with squirrel loads. Josh, how about you? How do you execute that that shot? Well, for one, I'm making sure my head's down on the gun. I don't shoot a red dot right now. I used to in the past, and I occasionally get caught up in, in pulling my head and missing turkeys here and there, and it's all good, whatever. <laughs> I used uh, I used Ernie's little Benelli 20-gauge down in Texas last week, and he had it mounted with a, with, with a red dot, and after killing a couple with it, I'm – I'm ready to uh, upgrade my setup for next year and going back to a red dot just because it's man when that when that dot's where that dot's at I mean that's where you're going to shoot and it's just it's a lot a lot more forgiving than just a bead on the end of a shotgun in my opinion mm-hmm. keeping my head down is definitely uh, what's going through my mind whenever there's a turkey coming in like just stay on it stay on it 12 gauge Josh is that is that what you shoot or you shoot 20 yeah I'm shooting I'm shooting a 12 gauge how about you James <clears throat> Yeah, I'm getting 12. It's an 870 since forever. So, oh, sorry, Josh. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you're good. Shit, what we've forgotten that we need to, these guys to tell us. Not much I can think of. You still throw up, Josh? Sometimes. It depends. <laughs> depends on how worked up worked up I get when they're coming in. And like if they come in roaring and I get all worked up and I pull the trigger and yeah, it happens sometimes still. That's, that's, a, that's a man that loves his turkey hunting. Do you do that with anything else, Josh? Do you do that deer hunting? Yeah, when I kill good bucks, I get pretty worked up and it's it's the adrenaline and then like replaying everything in my head. And like once it all sets in, it kind of hits me hard and it's happened since I was a kid. And But I, the people say it's weird, but I know a bunch of other people that it happens to too, so... It's kind of cool. Yeah, you probably feel weird if it if it stops someday. You'll probably be worried. Yeah, <laughs> I don't see it stopping though. <laughs> hey, guys, anything that uh, people need to know that you that we left out today, and some information that uh, could be helpful. Oh, uh, the biggest thing I would say is, man, this is not catch and release. Be safe and know what you're shooting at, because that TSS, like we talk about, and I preach it all the time to everybody that listen. I probably sound like a broken record, just. Man, be safe because once you pull that trigger, you don't get it back, and uh, you don't want to live live with yourself after you shoot somebody or have an accident. So that's 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 you know we hunt public ground all the time. So I mean, I have I don't have a problem wearing an orange hat in there, walking around and uh, taking it off when I sit down. And people's like, oh, you'll spook the turkeys with orange on, and I'm like, deer season, they flock to it, they love it. I don't know if they think yeah. I'm a corn pile or what, but they love orange. So uh, just just be safe. That's all I can say. That's all. I, have fun. And be safe. That's my thing. That's a great point. A good thing, and all of us that love to hunt, the thing that uh, is so great about it is is not the day's hunt, but we get to keep going back again and again and again. Yep. A little, little difficult to do that uh-huh. if you don't know your target or if you're being careless in, in what you're doing. And so that's that's a great point, James. Josh, anything uh, you'd have as we close up? Uh, man, not, not that I can think of. Well, guys, I, I appreciate you two being on here. I know this is a busy hectic time of the year so i appreciate you taking time out of your turkey hunting schedules and hopefully we'll be getting uh james hopefully get a picture from you in the morning and josh hopefully we'll get one from you monday morning oh all right well you want a picture of a turkey or <laughs> yeah. a picture of me uh, well i you, you're talking like you should be me i'll be the one sending you a picture of the woods monday but you'll be the ones with the turkeys so guys good luck oh okay <laughs> thank you <laughs> Hey, thank you, man. good yeah, visit with you guys. Sure appreciate you. Great people. Oh, Shed. Gosh. Yeah, thank you. Good seeing you, Shed. Yeah, good seeing you. Hey, we love you, Ernie, wherever yeah. you are. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. <laughs> thank you. See ya. See you, guys. Kill them guys. all. Good luck, James. Hey, good luck, buddy. Thank you for spending time today with Shed and I and our guests, Ernie Calandrelli, James Harrison, and Josh Grosenbacher. At times, the audio is a bit unstable, but... That's to be expected when there's a connection with five different people through four different states and in the remote areas we're all in due to being in the midst of turkey season. But we made it through and the content and insight from these three is exceptional. Also, the fact that these gentlemen would take the time to visit with us while they're in the respective hunting camps shows the incredible type of people they truly are. You can find more information on Ernie through Quaker Boy Game Calls and Mossy Oak. 
You can find information for James on Phelps Game Calls and Meat Eater, as well as Harrison Custom Calls. Information on Josh can be found through Rolling Thunder Game Calls and Mossy Oak. All three of these gentlemen can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as well. Please assist us by liking and rating today's episode, and also by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek. Shady spot to sit. We learned everything we knew. That old Bushy Creek.